Hey guys, I'm so excited for this week's episode with Caitlin Robertson all the way from Australia. You are going to love her accent if you don't live in Australia and her vibe, her joy, her optimism, her energy. She's just absolutely incredible. And she is here to share with you about the surrender of pregnancy and kind of losing control. And then this formula that she created for regaining control. You see, when she was 20 weeks pregnant, she found out her child had at a minimum a cleft lip. Later to discover her son Hunter had also a cleft palate. So we talk about her birth story and then we talk about her feeding journey, which is quite unique and the choice to be an exclusive pumper instead of formula. And so a lot goes into that decision making. And so Caitlin really breaks it down, heart, intuition, cutting out all the noise. I think you're going to love her birth story, her pregnancy journey, and learn a lot about surrender and acceptance and joy from Caitlin today. Thanks for being here. Let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Hey guys, before we get started, I just want to jump on and remind you about Birth Story Academy. And if you are listening in the window from December 1st, 2021 to February 1st, 2022, pre-sales are going on now for 50% off. So 50% off, it's 98 bucks, 98 bucks. You get a copy of the birth story podcast. You get downloadable um, digital birth affirmations. You get all the birth planning templates and you get my 20 module course. Like this is a great deal. My private doula clients pay over $3,000 for this. So for $98, jump into my private Facebook community. There's already about a hundred people that have joined. And on February 1st, we're going to dive in when class begins. So it's an online childbirth course. You take it at your own pace. There's 20 modules. It's taught by me, a 17-year veteran birth doula with a less than 7% cesarean rate. And I am going to teach you everything that you need to know and every decision you need to make about your hospital birth so that you too have the best chance of having that low, low cesarean rate like all of my doula clients enjoy. So I hope I will see you in class. You just go to birthstory.com, click on Birth Story Academy and use that code birthstorypodcast for 50% off 
if you're in that window. Prices go up very soon. Hey, Caitlin, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me, Heidi. I'm so excited. I am so excited. You are my first guest from Australia. And so we are recording and it's my time Friday night at 5.15 p.m. And what time is it your time? 8.16 a.m. I know, isn't that so cool? Like I'm watching the sunset and you're seeing a completely different landscape of like the sun up. I know you said like, your family just went out to the beach. My family's got kicked out to the beach. So I'm like in a nice, quiet, dark room. I'm just like getting my bearings and then I'll meet them down at the beach later because we are in the thick of heat summer here in Queensland. It is high humidity and yeah, where you're actually in the winter. You're like cold. You're like hiding away. Let's air quote winter. So I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it was 75 degrees today. <laughs> so yeah, it that's is, true. Yeah. You're uh, in the hot pot. <laughs> yes. I was like, uh, still, it will get a little bit cold on some days maybe, but it's usually still pretty, pretty warm over here. So Caitlin, I'm just really excited to connect. It's really interesting that technology allows us to do this, right? Like two mm-hmm. moms connecting all the way across the entire world and feeling like you're right here with me. I mean, I really love technology. It's just, this is such a beautiful gift. And we are going to talk about birthing in Australia, your birth story, yay. We are really gonna get into feeding. So like specifically pumping exclusively. And so before I get too far ahead, I think I'll let you tell the audience a little bit about your background and your story and your child and a little bit about your journey and then we'll work from there. So give us the highlights and then we'll dig into the birth story and then dig into your feeding journey. All right. Well, I'm Caitlin, also known as Katie. And yes, I am in Queensland, Australia, which is the northern part of Queensland, which I guess is like the equivalent to like yeah, North Carolina, Miami, like the full warm all year round beachy vibes. I actually left Sydney on June 22nd, which was our winter just before my 31st birthday. And it was also before the second biggest lockdown that Sydney had seen. I put my whole house into storage and that was two months prior. We planned all of that. And we left with 10 minutes to spare out of the exit of the highway and went north to Queensland. So I actually live on the road. I've been living on the road since June. So I have everything that I could fit in my car. And then we've been house sitting like what we call Airbnb, which is just like Mm -hmm. renting houses, but it's different to like obviously motels and hotels. And basically we've been looking after people's uh, like pets and houses anywhere between like alpacas, horses, chickens on properties to like little fish in like city places, dogs, cats, you name it. So basically I haven't had a permanent residence since June 22nd. So everything I do now as a mom, my other business, like everything, my husband's businesses has literally been on the road. So, (laughs) oh my gosh. And we're recording this December 3rd. So it's been six months. I mean, this is incredible. Okay. How yeah. do you accomplish this? How, how does this go down? Like, do you, is there a website that helps you facilitate these things? I mean, yeah. I know Airbnb, yeah. but the jobs and such. 
Yeah, yeah. It's called Mind a Home. And there's the Canadian and American version of that as well. Like okay. you have a system like that in your hometown too. So Ooh. you've just got to pay like an annual fee for us. It's like 50 Australian dollars for you. That's probably like, I don't know, what is it 30 US annually? And if you never use the account again, it doesn't matter. Basically, the most important thing is to build up good reviews like anything. Yeah. Um, so you don't look like a wacko jacko and people actually trust you and you look after their pets because people's pets are super important. They're like their prized possessions. <laughs> um, and you just need to have work that allows you to be on the road. Either you need to have a nest egg because you're not working anymore and you're literally living in like a van or an RV or something. That was a little too hippie camping vibes for me. Like I needed to literally be in the house. So we work at the exact same capacity we would just. We're doing it on the road without grandma and childcare and all the support services. All the support (laughs) services. Okay, so how old is your child now? He's now 19 months. So I'm going to have to go back in my memory bank to like dig deep into my birth story today. Yes. Okay, so 19 months old. You guys have been on the road for six months. Now tell us a little bit about your company, Living the Abundant Way. Yeah, it's just a natural living business. I distribute for a company. I got really passionate about six years ago for living a more low-tox life. And actually that background and that passion really went into me creating a positive pregnancy and birth because I was so exposed to this world of being alternate and and drawing and anchoring on different things, but it actually really built my confidence and my real grounding in my pregnancy and my labor, something I haven't always known about, you know, when I would hear about my mom's birth or maybe talk about other friends' birth, you know, sometimes it maybe isn't always the best stories or the best way that people talk about, especially that next generation, like my mom, like she was very just like too open and not as positive about what birth could be. So yeah, I'm very grateful for my business. Um, been running it for like three years. I can run it from anywhere on the road because it's all online. It's all through Instagram, basically, just sharing my life and mentoring women actually all around the world. So a lot of my team is in the Netherlands, in Europe, Belgium, Sweden, a little bit in America and Canada. And um, soon we're branching into Indonesia. So it's a lot of fun. Oh, wonderful. Okay. And I love the Instagram. So it's at living.the.abundant.way. So living the abundant way and then little periods in between each one of those words. (laughs) So little dots. So um, thank you so much for reaching out and being on the podcast. And so let's dig into this birth story because we have so much to get to about feeding also and about your son's journey. And this is just incredible. Okay. So my first question is, tell me about the pregnancy. Did you plan it? Was it unplanned? Fertility? All the things I need to know. Oh my gosh. Well, it goes all the way back to July. What is it? 2019 when I fell pregnant, I found out I was pregnant the day before I got on a flight to America. What were you coming here for? We literally did this big trip in Canada and America. We wanted to go to New York. I wanted to be there and like have cocktails on the rooftop, but I was pregnant. So like my whole plan was like totally out the door. My mom wanted to come. It was also her 60th. We just wanted to do like a really fun, big trip. We did like New York. We also went down through the South. We went through like all the plantations. Like, man, I learned so much. And then Black Lives Matters kicked in and I was like, I actually know what's happening because 
I saw this firsthand. Like I had such a history tour of America and just, yeah, had this big love for America in this totally other way. I I went, one of the things I absolutely love was going down to the very bottom. I forgot what it's called, but I went to the biggest, best World War II museum that you guys have somewhere down South, right on the water. Not, I can't remember the actual city, but we just did all these wonderful things, but I was pregnant. So I felt sick. I was like so <laughs> defeated every day. I looked like a homeless person. I would just stop in the middle of the city and just find a park bench and I would just lay down and go to sleep for hours. And my family would just have to sit there and wait. I went in to like visit a little old church and I lay down on like one of the pews and just went to sleep for like two hours. I was so fatigued. The fatigue is so overwhelming. Oh, this is bringing back memories, Caitlin. I found out I was pregnant three days before my wedding and we had done like a whole fertility thing to get pregnant. And then we were going to Punta Cana for to the Dominican Republic for our honeymoon. And the whole, this gorgeous, beautiful resort, all the trips. And I was just tired and throwing up the whole entire honeymoon. No cocktails. No, no cocktails. It was just really kind of quite a bummer, you know, actually. But so tell me, you so you found out, but had you been trying? No. No. I didn't want to get pregnant for another year later. I wanted to like just be free. I wanted to just like have my cocktails on the roof. I want to do something really special. I hadn't been married that long. I'd only been married like a year. I was really looking forward to this trip. But I say that delicately because I realize everybody has a story. And for some women that are still on that journey of of falling pregnant, one of the hardest things is when you hear women go on about, I had a baby, but I just didn't mean to. I just didn't plan to. So I say it respectfully. For me, it was a shock because I didn't feel fully prepared. Like it really took me off guard. I wasn't even in a place in my life where I was even really like kind of craving that yet. So I had to go on a personal journey processing in my own quiet time. Okay. We're pregnant. Like I didn't have the crying moment with the stick with my husband. We looked at each other and we were like, Oh, beep. What do we do now? Like we go to a doctor, we're getting on a plane tomorrow. So like, we almost felt like these young, we're not, we were not young children, but we almost felt like young immature children. Like, oh my gosh, are we ready for this? Like we kind of got that real shock. And to be completely honest, it took me most of our trip around America and Canada, which is about six to eight weeks to really process and accept and surrender not only my body, but my life to this newfound responsibility that I'd been gifted and shift my perspective on what kind of at the time felt like a bit of an unexpected burden to being one of the greatest gifts and blessings. So I went on my own quiet personal journey, which I didn't share with too many people at the time because I'm very aware of how that can make other people feel. But as a result, it was all perfectly planned. It was all meant to be. And like literally when he was born, the biggest COVID hit, COVID 1.0, we weren't going to be going anywhere, doing anything anyway. So we spent the whole year just learning how to be parents in the quiet time of our own home without guests. And it was really quite brilliant. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I love that you just said COVID 1.0 because what are we <laughs> rounding on like COVID 3.0 over here? Um, I'm so glad for your transparency, Caitlin, because I have interviewed many parents on this podcast with the same story. Like Everyone who has a birth story doesn't mean that that was a planned pregnancy. Sometimes it's chosen, you know, at the end, like, okay, well, uh, we weren't really planning this, but we're going to go ahead and choose this to to keep going. So 
I mean, that is a long journey. It comes to mind. There's another episode on the podcast. I interviewed Sean and she found out she was pregnant right before she left for Costa Rica on this month long excursion. (laughs) And she gets to Costa Rica and just decides, oh, I'll just go to the doctor and just go see. And And her husband wasn't with her. She was just off with some students. And on that trip, she found out she was not only pregnant unplanned, she was pregnant with identical twins. <laughs> and so I this, actually can't. I, I can't, know. I can't break your, this too much. Your story about leaving right away too, it just reminded me of her birth story too, which is just pretty incredible. Um, oh man. So like you said, COVID 1.0 hits. Now, <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about birthing in Australia? Like, like if it wasn't COVID, what was your, what did you plan to do? Like, did you want to have a medicated birth or an unmedicated birth or at home or in the hospital? Like, what does that look like in Australia? Yeah. So Australia is actually really supportive of quite a lot of different ways of birthing. I still think we have quite a high C-section rate here in Australia. People are still very drawn to having an obstetrician. I personally really wanted to have a more natural birth as much as I could. Um, I wanted it to be as less intervention as possible. Mm -hmm. I wasn't interested in having an obstetrician. I decided to invest the same money I'd invest in an OB into a doula. And that thought kind of transpired from because I was so late getting on board with my pregnancy, a.k.a. I actually registered online for my baby's uh, my pregnancy, which is what you have to do at the hospitals. But you put down your phone number and if they call you three times and you don't answer, AKA I was in an international country, they remove you from the system. So I had to go back in, get removed. And this went back around for six to eight weeks. It's a really dumb system. And the problem is they call you on a private number. So if you miss it, you don't know it's them. They don't leave you a message. It's like whacked. Anyway, so I kept missing. So by the time I got back, I'd missed out on being in the midwife program, which is in really high demand. And a couple of years ago, they created a share care. So GP and midwife. So you meet a midwife at the hospital regularly for your checkups, your measurements, how everything's going, but they're not actually the midwife that births you. You only get the same, uh, what is it? Continuity of care when you're in the midwife program. But a lot of people want to be in that and it costs more money. And it's just a bigger sector that basically the public health system in Australia doesn't want to support. They created this as a buffer. But the feeling that you get is, okay, I build a relationship with this person, my midwife, but then on the day I rock up, basically like going into emergency and it's just whoever's on that shift. It's like a lucky dip. And that kind of was a little unnerving for me. And you do hear stories where you can get the best midwife ever and it all goes really well. And then you can maybe get a midwife that's just not your jam and it, it doesn't feel good. So I hired a doula. I went to a fantastic birthing course called SheBirth. It's the best scientific-based birthing course in Australia. It's the perfect balance of learning medical lingo, but also being totally aware of what your body can do and feeling really empowered. So it's not too much to one side or the other. It's very neutral and it's without bias. So they allow you through the information to decide what's best for you. I think most of them probably have a slight bias to being more natural birth and less intervention. And as a, as a result, that birthing course has the highest rate of natural birth without intervention of mothers that come out of the course and the father participates. It's Um, very hands-on. It's, it's honestly brilliant. Is it online? Is it online or you have to go in person? 
It's everything. Okay. It's a quick online course where you can obviously go over the resources all the time, but then there's an in-person weekend, which is jam-packed and it's all about using your rebozo and the ball and all your stretches and massages and everything where the man literally gets to practice for the big day, which for my husband, who has a really bad memory, needed to literally practice what he was going to do. And I'd stick sticker notes all over the wall for him to keep practicing like the techniques and the pressure points and where to support me. And he was like in the birthing room going, okay, what's the next point? What's the next spot? What's the, like, he's trying to recall everything in his mind. So it's very, very good. And I saw, sorry, I'm retracting a little bit, but um, I saw him become so confident. He literally walked down. He's like, I can do this. I am a daddy doula. I am so excited to watch you birth. <laughs> we got this. It was like, he got his like lion and like, he was so confident. And I think that was the greatest part because he realized how foundational his role was in that birthing room on that day. He was not a bystander and he actually did more work than the midwife until the very end when she obviously helped, but he was there through the whole thing. Like he almost broke his back because I was pulling so hard. He had to go to the chiropractor for six <laughs> weeks afterwards because I was just like, <gasps> were you so using like, the rebozo I- for tug of war? Or were you just pulling on him? <laughs> I was actually on the birthing stool and I was like pulling on his shoulders behind me so hard that he's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't think I'm going to make yeah. it. My body is full. Oh my apart. gosh. I can feel your power when you say that, you know, because I've birthed <laughs> with so many women and even I have these little tiny petite women that are like 115 pounds and their tiny little hands and the power that squeezes or bites down on me, you know? (laughs) And I'm like, there's so much power in birth. It's unbelievable. So you said daddy doula and we call, we call them here a doodla, (laughs) like a dude, but a doodla. Yes. I love it. He's a doodla. (laughs) So American, a little doodla. I love this. I'm going to link to this course for she birth in the, in the show notes. I just actually recorded an online birth course. It's not out yet. It doesn't come out until February, but that was really the key lens that I used was that word that you said neutral. So I had been doing this for 17 years and I was like, okay, if I'm going to create a course and I had one epidural and one unmedicated birth. And I was like, this really has to be super balanced and super neutral so that everyone walks away feeling really empowered, no matter what choices they make. So I can't wait. I haven't taken she birth. And I'm going to reach out and see if they'll let me take their course. And I would love to learn some things. This is so exciting. So you have this doula, right? And you have a midwife. And then your partner is like definitely prepped for daddy doula stuff. Um, Is there anything else you did to prepare? Oh, my gosh. Well, just to let you know, in the end, because of that Sydney 1.0 flipping annoying COVID, okay. they banned my doula from coming oh, in the bathroom. No. So she only could walk me to the room. She pushed as long as she could before they asked her to exit. Basically, they made me choose between my husband or my doula. That she only could have here. one support person. And we were even lucky we got one. Australia was like tinkering on like not even letting your husband come in and like he could maybe visit the baby if you were lucky like that's where some hospitals were going so you can imagine the anxiety and the stress levels that rose in women that we'd never seen in our like generation before or probably really even in birthing before quite like this 
Yeah. It was a whole new territory for my family, for women birthing, for my doula. I was her very first Zoom birth where we actually yeah. had to try and do it online. And she was like, oh my gosh, I learned so much from that. I need to like get the positioning better of the laptop. I'm like, it was a really different process. That's kind of the end. And I'm happy to go back to that. But my actual pregnancy, well, I got the 12 week scan. Nothing appeared about baby Hunter's cleft because it was too small. And as you know, like the 12 week, like the, you're just seeing like outlines, you're not mm-hmm. really seeing details. It wasn't until the 20 week scan when you go back that I actually saw the gap, the black, you know, it's black when there's a hole on the, the scans and I could see it on the big screen in front of me. And she kind of kept going back and kept going back and I'm looking, I'm going, Oh my goodness, that's not meant to be there. And she's like, I'm really sorry to tell you, but it looks like your son has a left clep lip. We're not sure of the palate. And I'm like, what? And they did you know like, what that was? Have- had you heard of that before? I think, I think somewhere in my subconscious, I had heard of it, but I like was just by that point, adrenaline's pumping. You start to get anxiety. My husband actually wasn't in the room at that point. He had to go take a phone call and was somewhere else. I was in there by myself. And I, I ended up going out and I hit Google. Dumbest thing I've ever done. I hit Google. Clef kids were coming up in India, uh-uh. uh, Indonesia, Asia, of uh-uh. all different ages, sizes, all this different stuff, all different extremities, all different types of clefts. I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening? I start crying. I'm walking down the street. I call my husband and he's like, it's going to be okay. I'm like, you've got to come back. You've got to come back. There's an OB coming over from the hospital. This was a private clinic that was taking the um, scans because the hospital was too full. So because the public system was too full of scans, I had to go and pay for my own scans. And then I had to wait for an obstetrician to come across from the hospital across the road to come into the private clinic to assess. And from that day forward, Heidi, my son never showed his face again. He literally put his hand (laughs) over his mouth, every single scan. And we had another five or six scans after that. And I was honestly just waiting for the middle finger just to pop up. And I was just waiting for him to be like, F you guys, why do you keep looking at me? What I look like doesn't matter. It was the weirdest thing. He would turn his head away. I had to like sometimes walk around, wait for him to turn, come back. Like it was hours. And in the end, I was like, mom, stop worrying. That's what he was saying. Like, stop worrying. This is not a big deal. I'm totally going to be fine. What did they tell you about a cleft lip? Like, what did they They say? Basically, they basically said at six to eight weeks, the the gum or the lip or the palate just doesn't join. They don't know why. It's one of like the world's biggest medical mysteries. Like some might say it's similar to, um, you know, having a folic acid deficiency, which I know they have connected to. What is it? What's the baby condition that's connected to a a folate deficiency. Oh, I don't know. Are they really bigger? Is it? Sp- oh, spina bifida. Yeah, spina bifida. bifida. So they can really. I was like, I, that. I was like, we could go anywhere with this. Okay, spina <laughs> bifida. Yeah. And um, there's no, no real solid evidence to actually prove anything. It's just this unknown thing, and because it happened so early on, six weeks, most people don't even know they're pregnant at that point. Like Mm-mm. you're just starting to figure out you've missed your period, and you're like, why do I feel so crap? Like they can't go in there and then check it all out and do studies on it. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of this, but of course, as parents, you start going in circles. Why did this happen? What have I done in my past life? What did I do? I I had this one weekend for a business retreat and I had like a couple of drinks. Wasn't crazy, but I had a couple of drinks. It's like, oh my gosh, this is my fault. I've had alcohol. 
I've done this. Even my husband started going around. He's like, is something unhealthy with my body? And you, you can literally go in circles trying to figure out this mystery. And that was my biggest lesson. I'm like, parenting, you never know the answers. You just keep asking the same question and every day they keep changing. That was like lesson one for me, surrender to not knowing the answer. Yep. And to not <laughs> and we had to let being it go. in control. Yep. And just <laughs> to not being in control of anything. My listeners know, I mean, my child has cerebral palsy. And I went down that route over and over and over again. Like, well, what if I just had a C-section or what this or what that, you know? And you just, we kill ourselves with guilt and questioning and why. And it feels so much better to just let it go, you know? Like, we're not in control. It doesn't actually matter anymore. Yeah. And I'm sure you feel the same way about Hunter. Like, the parts of our children that are unique are so endearing. Like, I can't imagine having a child who didn't have this like cute little quirk to his right arm, you know, like it's so normal uh, to like this beautiful child that I've raised that I can't imagine him not having it. And at first I thought, oh, you know, life's over. And it's, it's so beautiful to raise a child with some uniqueness. Caitlin, I think I told you the audience, I was gonna tell the audience too, I knew exactly what a cleft lip was. So if I had seen it on the ultrasound, because my very first boyfriend, well, I mean, maybe it was like my second or third boyfriend. I don't know. It was like 14 years old. He was gorgeous. I mean, gorgeous, like this blonde hair, blue eyes. And that was one of the first things I noticed about him is he had a little scar on his, um, on his upper lip. And so I was 14 years old when I learned about it and, And I'll tell you what, those lips still kissed really well. (laughs) So I don't think I would have been stressed at all if I was in that room. But I totally understand that from the parenting perspective. And then he doesn't show you. You do all these ultrasounds. He doesn't show you again. And so what's the plan of action or is there one? Yeah, basically, we did end up getting transferred out of that private clinic over to the hospital. So I was back in the public system again. So I had a permanent obstetrician for the rest of my scan. So I was kind of, it wasn't special needs, but I was kind of in a different ward now where I was a bit more focused on, right. All of a sudden I became that mom that was like, Oh, I'm in hospital. And like, I'm being highlighted. Like there's, there's files about me now. Do you know what I mean? It was like this weird feeling. Like I'm not just an everyday mom that's coming in and out of the hospital for a scan. It's like, oh, I'm one of those extra special moms that like needs extra special attention. That was like even an adjustment in itself because as I would say on my whole journey, I'd share, I'm like, I'm one of those hospital moms now. Like I never thought this would be me. And those experiences literally enlarge your heart so big you think that you might pop because then you think about every other hospital mom and you're like, whoa, these are like some of the strongest women to go in and out of the children's hospital for your child for an extended period of time, watch them go in and out of operation. Like no one will ever fully understand that. Even sometimes your own partner, like it's this part of your mom. Well, for me, I connect with God. Some of you might be spirit, universe, higher self. But for me, it was like, he was the only one that truly got like the parts of my heart that I was processing. And that, that is a journey in itself, but basically this obstetrician was very masculine and I know that they do their job and I'm not here to critique, but 
Sometimes they have to be super straight and super blunt and tell you all the facts, but you just like really want like that mama to like come and hug you and be like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And he was just like straight up, we're going to do heart scans, brain scans. We're going to look for any connections to anything else. And I was like, okay, well, you think there could be other problems? So we just had to really stand in faith and believe there was nothing else. This was an isolated issue and that was not even an issue, but an isolated concern and that nothing else was going to be affecting the body. He was going to be fully healthy and strong. So as we did all those scans, it was evident there was no other correlations. They asked me if I wanted to do extra tests, but there was a risk of, you know, breaking my waters, miscarriage. And I actually said no to all the tests. I said no to the Downs test, the Down syndrome test, which is very common to do when you're pregnant here in Australia. Most women will get it. I said no to everything because I just decided in my heart that no matter what the result was, no matter what they said, even if there was something, I didn't even want to be tempted or even have the thought that I wasn't going to be able to do it. And I just decided we were going to take this beautiful child no matter what was going to be the outcome. And he even offered me, I think at 20, the next scan after, he might even be like 20 two or 23 weeks, he actually offered me an abortion if I wanted to, if I felt it was too much for me. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, this kid has a perfect heart, a perfect brain. I was like, he just won't be able to eat properly and drink properly and breastfeed for a little while. And maybe we'll have to work on his speech. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with him. Why would I get rid of him? And I'm totally respectful of anyone that's made that decision. And it was the right thing for them. For me in this stage of my life, that was just like the most shocking. And I literally remember looking the OB right down there. I was was like, if you ever ask me that again, I will walk out and I'll never come back. Do not ever talk to me about (laughs) my baby like that. That is off the table. And my husband looked at me. I was like, okay, angry pregnancy lady coming. But I was like offended. Like I was like, I understood in my brain why he had to offer me that, but I was just so heartbroken at the thought of making that decision. And from that moment on, he was very careful how he talked to me in that, (laughs) in that room. And, um, I just said, like, we signed up to this, we are parents and we take everything. Like that is the, that is the commitment we have made to this child whether we got pregnant because we planned to, or we got pregnant one night because we forgot I was ovulating. It doesn't matter. We signed up to this. So you did. I think I really got to a place of surrender. We, we actually deleted all the scans. We didn't look at them. We didn't like, like chew on them or, or kind of fester on it. We just, James was like, I want you to delete everything. I want, we're going to get on with our pregnancy. We're going to have a joyful time. We're going to focus on health and abundance. We're going to keep you hydrated. We're going to keep you fit. So I do lots of Pilates, lots of walking. I got so fit and strong in my, my pregnancy. I was actually glowing. Like it was probably one of the happiest, healthiest times in my life. Um, and the whole diagnosis really kind of became a bit of a distant blow in the wind. There was moments when it came up and surfaced and I felt really heartbroken. And, you know, there was one moment where I did like a pregnancy photo shoot and my husband wasn't taking as seriously. I would have liked, and I broke down crying. I'm like, you don't understand. This is so important to me. We probably won't do the big photo shoot when the baby's born. We might want to keep those photos more private. This is my chance to kind of really honor my pregnancy and honor my child because I know how private my husband is and he wouldn't want me blasting photos all over the internet of my son without his permission of his story and his journey. And that was just something personally we went on together. So there was moments like that where lots of emotions came up, but for the better part, I went into like a bubble. All I can think of it is like this little protected pregnancy bottle. And I focused on all my food and all my nutrients and 
my, 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 my prenatal, um, multivitamin and like my green juice every morning and like all my nourishing foods and prepping for postpartum. And I just like got obsessed with like birth and feeling empowered. And, but how did you do that? So like for those parents that are listening that have just gotten a similar diagnosis, some of them are my private doula clients. And then there's hundreds of thousands of other people listening to this podcast. They are getting similar diagnosis, diagnoses. And they are saying, Caitlin, well, how the fuck did you do that? (laughs) You know, (laughs) how, how did you crawl into a bubble of peace and a bubble of light and do that? Like, did someone teach you? Was it faith? Was it like, what was it? Like, there's got to be a formula. Faith. I had this moment walking down the beach. I lived at the beach at the time, a different beach. So in Sydney, not up here where I'm living now, five minutes from the beach. So for any moms out there that love to be in nature, especially during pregnancy or postpartum, like it's just so grounding. It's such a great place to clear your head. And it's just so beautiful to have your feet in the water, that magnesium hit. But essentially I was walking along the, the beach and starting to get really pregnant by this point. And I had started to learn through all of my Googling, one of the positive sides was the outcome of cleft children in other countries. And because of other religions and other faiths in other countries, particularly the Hindu faith, so the caste system, a baby that's born with something a little bit different, particularly physically appearing different, which would also include your child, they would get put in an orphanage and they would get discarded like trash and because they weren't perfect. And for any mom out there, you're like, I can't, I just can't, but that is their religion. That is the way they see it. They, they blame themselves. They feel like they're shamed in society and they, and they need to remove this because basically their communities are going to think. So there is thousands of cleft orphanages in India. And also I think Indonesia and maybe the Philippines, I think is the highest cleft kids in the world for one space on a country. India is very high. And I learned this along my, my journey. Of, and I, and I, I just got this download again. For me, it's God. He said, Caitlin, the greatest gift that you have for Hunter is love. And no one can never take that away from you because your love will get you through all of this. And he will know how much you love him before his operation, after his operation. I call it his first smile, his second smile that some kids never will have. And they will always think there's something wrong with them. They were broken. They need to be fixed. They're rotten. Like that is literally how these kids feel in these places, apart from the fact that it also stops them from smiling. And if you really think about where joy comes from, it comes from laughter and the physical act of moving your smile to the left and the right. And if you don't ever want to do that, it's so hard to activate joy. So when these kids don't get these operations, not only do they hang their head in shame, because their societies discard them, they don't smile as much anymore, yeah. which means they're not joyful. And that breaks my heart because the whole essence of being a child is to be wild and free and joyful. So for me, I just felt like I'd say, it's all going to be okay because you have love and you aren't going to discard him and you're not going to reject him. And I'm telling you, this kid has never stopped smiling before his surgery, after his surgery, all through his newborn face. Like he always smiled. Like I've got camera rolls on my phone of this smiling kid with his left clap lip. And it never, he never knew it never bothered him. He was never impacted by this thing that happened. Right. 
And that was because of this deep essence of love. And I carried that with me everywhere. And that was my responsibility was love and to create a healthy home for this baby to live in. And also to feel my strongest, best physical self so that I could roll this baby out. Yes. <laughs> yes. Society. Um, and not having intervention was something I could work towards. It was something I could control. I could control my mind, my thinking, my positivity. I could control all of that, even if I couldn't control the necessary outcome. And I was believing until the second that he popped out that he wouldn't have the palate affected. I was like so in faith for that, but they never got a full shot. They never could ever tell me in the scans if it ever was. It was a complete mystery. And the palate is the one that affects breastfeeding. So that was the real heart wrencher for me. I could handle the lip because it was a very simple surgery. Yes, the gum might also be affected and he'll need to get grafting. But the palate was the one that I was like, I'm going to lose breastfeeding. And I know that breastfeeding is a big journey for everybody. And I have so much respect for everyone's decision. But not even getting the chance to try sucks. You feel like something's literally been stolen from you in the night. And you're like, why did you take that from me? So yeah, it was, it was a big journey and it was a lot to process. Okay. Thanks for letting me interrupt this episode for just a quick minute with some reminders. One, Birth Story Academy is launching on February 1st, 2022, but pre-sales start on December 1st, 2021. So if you are listening in that window, I am offering 50% off to my loyal podcast listeners with code birth story podcast. Second reminder, there are so much to devour at birthstory.com for free. So if you just click on birthstory.com, go to the workbook, type in your email address, it unlocks an entire library of all of my free resources. So if you want to learn more about placenta encapsulation, delayed cord clamping, have birth plan templates, like whatever your heart desires, I probably have written a guide for it. My latest guides are on postpartum recovery and breastfeeding. So I hope you will check out all those free resources at birthstory.com. And last but not least, if you want to go the extra mile, I would love it if you would push pause and leave a review and then click the icon that says share and send the podcast or a favorite episode to someone that you know who is pregnant, trying to become pregnant, loves birth stories, or that would really enjoy the birth story podcast. The only way people learn about this is through word of mouth and referral. So I love those reviews and those shares, and I appreciate you so much. So let's get back to this episode. I can relate. I mean, I had a different diagnosis, but like just that, okay, how do we move forward? My child was already out on the outside when we got the diagnosis, you know, but like still to this day, I mean, thinking what can I do every day? My child has no idea. Like, I'm like, I dread the day they're going to listen to my podcast. My child has no idea. He has cerebral palsy, like no clue. Wow. Like we, because we just do what you did. We practice abundant joy and abundant love and then do all the things we're supposed to do. Physical therapy and occupational therapy and speech therapy. And don't let him know that anything is unique. 
you know, um, but that he's just so completely special and so loved. And so I completely relate to that moment. So we know like when you met him and you, you learned a little bit more and we, I really want to get to the breastfeeding piece of this, but I, I have to hear your birth story because it's COVID. They've just locked your doula out of the, like she's walked you in, they've locked her out. She's trying to finagle a laptop and, and virtual doula you. And you said your partner was like amazing. So this is so good. But like, tell me, how did you know you were in labor? I'll say this, like the speediest story with the best parts that need to be highlighted. So take your time. When I was, when I was pregnant, I felt like it was a boy. I didn't ever get the, the gender. I didn't do the gender reveal party or ever find out what it was though. They're really big here in Australia. I think they're really big in the States too. Um, I just had this feeling it was a boy and we actually named him before he was even born knowing if he was a boy. I know I'm one of those like funny moms. And I also really wanted him to be born on Easter Sunday. So if you know Easter Sunday, if you know like Christianity or Catholicism, all of that, like Easter Sunday is like when Jesus rose from the cross, blah, blah, blah. So for me, that was really powerful. And I was like, that means I'm going to have to go into labor like Easter Saturday. Like I'm going to have to start going. So I'm ready on Sunday. And he was born Easter Sunday at 10.05. So like, you know, just short of crossing over into Easter Monday. And Easter Monday was obviously a public holiday. So there's different midwives on because it's public weekend. People go away. It's different staff. There's obviously the regular staff and admin staff not there on a Monday. So that also really impacted my postpartum too, which you can link back around to. But basically I was really for doing some alternate things like acupuncture. I found a great acupuncturist that was doing private consultations. I got in through like a connection because they were so careful taking in new clients with obviously COVID on the loose and everyone just didn't know what was happening. So I was seeing her fairly regularly, but the night that I went into labor, I literally had like 50 needles put in all of my back in obviously the, the, to bring on a natural, it was like a natural induction essentially. Mm -hmm. And like across my toes and everything. And it, it was actually very painful. Like I told her to go hard as hard as she could. That was fine. And she was like, right. She had 20 years in Chinese medicine. She was fantastic. Um, very trusted. And, um, I went into labor three hours later when I got home after a bath, my mucus plug came out and I was like, Oh, this is happening. And being a little bit ignorant, my first birth, I was like, it was very, it was actually quite an intense start for me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this baby could be born really soon. And then it was obviously late at night. So I lost a bit of sleep. And my husband was like, I'm going to bed. Like I need sleep. So I was, I just went and followed him to the bed. And basically I tried to sleep through as much of the contractions as I could. By the time it got to morning, it was starting to get pretty intense. I was in and out of the bath on and off the ball. I had music on. I was like, had, I remember being on the ball and I can even send you a video. Like if you want to post oh, yeah, it, please. Me, like, literally like roaring and I'm trying to read through all my she birth information and try to like get my husband ready. And the biggest, best thing that I did that I'm so grateful for was I didn't stop eating. I kept forcing myself okay. to eat right up until I couldn't even speak anymore. And you know, when you're really transitioning, when you're, that's when I caught my doula crying. I was like, you've got to come now. Like I can't take this right up until that point. I had soup toast. I had tea. I had frozen grapes. I just didn't stop filling my body up with nourishment and food and energy. And I know looking back now, if I didn't have the kind of awareness and mental strength to really push through, it's so easy to not eat. You don't feel like it. Like sitting there trying to make myself chew avocado and toast was literally hell. 
but I'm so <laughs> grateful because I didn't then eat again until Monday when I could get to a cafe at like 9am and he was born obviously at 10pm on the Sunday. So I had to go through the whole night without food and I'm gluten intolerant. So I don't eat the food that they bring around on that little trolley in the morning when you're just trying to sleep and you're like, don't knock on my door. So I had to wait for my husband to go to the cafe. So if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have eaten for like two days and I get low blood sugar and I'm a really hangry type of person. So that was one of my most powerful things. And I drank so much water. I drank eight liters of water before I got to the hospital. Wow. I was so hydrated yep. and Good. I kept urinating. I didn't get blocked. And that was something my doula trained me. She's like, you don't want to get into the situation where maybe you have to get a catheter, keep urinating, keep going, keep going, keep going. So I did all of those things. I really didn't want to be on an antibiotic. So I was, I was like doing little shallow baths with apple cider vinegar to make sure I didn't get any strep to keep down there really clean. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to keep doing all the things to avoid having to have any extra assistance that I just felt so strong. And I think my baby even potentially weighed a little bit more because I had so much fluid and then his weight like dropped so much. They're like, well, maybe you did drink a lot of water. I'm like, I just didn't stop. I just wanted to be like this hydrated pumping birthing woman. And it made me feel really good. Like it really helped. And again, drinking water is a disciplined thing Like you don't feel like sipping on that stupid straw, every contraction. I also was a little bit cheeky and I had a bottle of organic red wine. (laughs) I love it. I think that's great. No no sulfates, no nasties. It was like the most pure, like it's one of the most famous organic reds that's from one of the country towns here in New South Wales. And um, it just took the edge off, man. It made all the hormones kick in. It made me super happy. All of it. It's definitely one of the like prescriptions, (laughs) like air quote prescriptions (laughs) that I give to my dual clients is I'm like, get four to six ounces of wine and then get in the bathtub. Like you will get relaxed. You'll get that oxytocin going. And the joke is I have a lot of clients that are like, we'll push back like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't know. And I'm like, you would go to the hospital and get IV fentanyl or an epidural medication, but you're not going to have four ounces of wine. You know, it's okay. (laughs) Like a few ounces of wine is okay. Not like five glasses of it, but a few ounces. I had a bottle <laughs> over, over like 12 hours yes. with a lot of food. That is perfect. <laughs> that is perfect. It was, it was just like a little medicine with your frozen grapes too. I love it. So you were moving your body, you were hydrating, you were fueling your body with food. You had done all of the preparation. I love those apple cider vinegar baths and soaks for the GBS. Like you really, really, really were so prepared, Caitlin. I mean, this is beautiful. So you had a great doula. You had really good birth prep with she births. I mean, everything's falling into place. So I, and you were really far in my eyes, you were very far advanced in your labor before you called your doula. So it sounded yeah, like- and before we went to hospital. Yeah. And that was your plan. Stay at home then? As long as possible. Oh yeah. Okay. As long as possible. I I thought we thought I was a little bit more when we went in. Things were starting to get really intense. We'd spent like four hours outside of my balcony drinking wine. We all sat around talking in between my contractions about life. And I was roaring down the street of my hometown, like all the neighbors heard. They knew that baby was cut. I was so loud every contraction. I was bent over the chair. She got me up and down the stairs. Like she just kept me moving different positions. Like oh, the 
doula's just like I'm obsessed with my doula like I literally love her so much I'll like fly her around the world to come and birth with me again like the connection you have with your doula is like unbreakable like it no one will ever understand even your husband yeah. the way she rubs my back I got to ask her I'm like do it like Erica why are you rubbing it <laughs> James like I don't know how to do that and she's on the thing like it's okay James we don't expect you to know how to do that I've been practicing for 25 years I'm a massage therapist too I was like why is it Erica rubbing my back with the nice circular motion like the way she did all like I just I love you you're my mom I'm just so you love me like I can't explain it <laughs> the touch of a doula just like changes everything it's a so gift. she was literally a fantastic yeah um, what's Erica's um is she on Instagram like could people go stalk your doula if they wanted to have yes. her if they're in Australia and they're close by like and then where are you on the northern side like where how do we find she's her in New South Wales Sydney so oh, she, she's where you were she that's right yeah. She's where I was, but she's high demand. She's great. Um, and you know, she's a mom to a 19 year old boy. So she's been doing mom life for a little while. So she's got that real earthy mama vibe and she's like the tonics and all the other postpartum stuff. Anyway, she's Erica Elliot underscore mother birth. Erica E-R-I-K-A-E-L-L-I-O-T-T underscore mother birth one word great i'm gonna go stalker i hope all my listeners yeah, do too her. so oh, she, she sounds she like talks an to angel. lots of people in the states she'd love to chat with you yeah oh she sounds like an angel okay so she's doing all of the things and you are staying at home as and doing all this amazing labor and at some point is it you or is it erica or is it your husband like who is like we should transition to the hospital I think I was in the bath for a while and she was obviously like, you know, checking my contraction, seeing the time in between. She was like doing all of that hard logistical stuff while I was just trying to relax. Right. And it was starting to get really, really, really intense. And she was like, okay, I think we should go now. And they were like, yep. And my husband, I was like, make sure James eats because he's not going to eat for a while. And I was just like so concerned about food. I'm in the bath drinking a smoothie again. Like I'm still downing the food and the nourishment. I'm sipping on my banana smoothie, just getting it in me literally before we get in the car. And he's like ordering pizza and like eating pizza and all this food in the fridge. He's trying to like put snacks in the car because he knows like I'm done for now. Like I'm out. I'm in full service mode. (laughs) Up until that point, the doula had really been doing a lot, you know, James was really just in the background kind of supporting and getting all the logistics and packing the bag and getting the car keys ready. And she's really just kind of calming me and soothing me. But we decided to go to the hospital and that was the worst freaking drive of my life. Every bump, every little rock that we rolled over, I was like, stop driving like that. You don't understand. I'm in the back. I'm like on my all fours. I'm like holding onto the car seat that you've never used before. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to bring a baby home in this and you're just roaring in the backseat and my doula was following in the car behind. We were like literally five minutes from the hospital. So it was fantastic. It was very easy for her and everyone to cargo. Obviously, my husband dropped me off and they parked the car straight away. She gets me out of the car. James gets the bags. She's done this a million times before, right? Like you, you know the process, you know the hospitals. Takes me straight in. And, um, oh, sorry, I did call the hospital before I went in and I was trying to like really compose myself. And she looked at me, she's like, don't compose yourself. Raw. Show Raw. them how much you need to come in. Now mm-hmm. they won't let you come in, Caitlin. I was like, oh yeah, it's really bad. I need to come in. And then when we got through, because you had to go through a different door because of all this COVID crap, but because it was 
labor. We got to go through a special door, check in with our name. We didn't have to do the whole armband testing, all this other crap that the other door had to do for just normal women's hospital. Right. I got to kind of sneak away late at night and um, she's like, buckle over show them your contraction. <laughs> this is like, Don't so take you seriously. Funny. So I'm like, ah! yeah, I always say turn it up. Like we get off the elevator and I'm like, when those elevator doors open, you better turn it on. I was like, we are not going home. You know, we're not doing that drive again. I'm like, you turn it on. And in the United States, we have a stopping point called triage. And then you have your birthing room. And if you can turn it on, you can skip triage. So if you can be really loud and wild and primal and hot, you know, all the sounds vibrating the hallways, then you can bypass triage and go straight to your birth room. So I'm always like, you turn that on right away. Like, let's get to it. So I love that. That's um, a good one. So she said that in an Aussie way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and I generally was happy. Like it wasn't a big, like I generally was like, okay, I'm getting super over this. Like this is full on now. She got up there and by her kind of doing all of that, she got to stay with me a little longer and come up a little longer and check the room, check the midwife on duty. And the midwife that was on duty was not very nice. Uh, you're having cleft baby. You can't have a water birth. That's dangerous. Uh, you're not approved for that. And just like, just ran off all this stuff to me and really like kind of sent me off my course. And I also said, I don't want to be checked yet. I don't need to know. I don't know the dead like dilation yet. I, I just want my time. Just let me get settled and put my bags down. Like I just freaking got here. So I did that. Anyway, they told me I was only five centimeters. So we all got a little bit of a shock because the way I thought it was going, I was like, maybe I'm like six, seven. And then my doula Lena, she's like, remember there's an extra centimeter that they don't count. There's like another bit inside. So really you've done six. You've really, you've done really good. You've but really, that's you've really, really far. I mean, Caitlin, for a first time birthing person to make it all the way to five or six, I mean, that's really, I mean, that is very progressed in your birth, right? And most people don't realize, I mean, you can go from five to 10 in a couple hours, you know, but that is very far progressed. So I think like A plus. If I get to the hospital and we're like like three, four, two, three, four, I'm like, oh gosh, are they even going to keep us? Five, six is perfect. That's very perfect. That's good. What time was it? Because I know you said you birthed at 10 p.m., but what time is it right now? That was 6 p.m. See, I just told you that you could go so fast from five to 10. I knew it. So it's 6 p.m., you're five centimeters, you're getting settled. And what does this mean? Midwife just kick Erica out your doula. She just says, they basically just said you have to go and she knew. So she left and like straight away drove home and then got on the zoom and did all the things and kind of more in James's ear, a little bit more than mine for a little while. I was in and out of the shower. I was, you know, on the ball. I was, she was really helping me to keep moving sides of my squat to keep lifting a different leg up. And oh man, when you change one muscle, like one leg to the other, it literally feels like daggers, like you're going to die. Like, because but it works. So <laughs> and she just kept getting me to keep moving. And I was getting really grumpy. I'm impatient. I was getting over it. And I started saying, I started saying stuff like I'm getting over it now. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm really fucking over this shit. I just want this baby out. I started getting visions of like C-sections. 
like I started a mat. I'm like, just get it out. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, this is too much. It was getting too painful. Transition. And then, <laughs> and then the, the midwife was like, we need to keep you calm, Caitlin. Like you're starting to lose control. You're starting to, I started like really crying and like feeling like I was out of my zone. I think just the buildup of losing my doula, having COVID, yeah. not knowing I was on the other side, this whole pregnancy, it all just started to get to me mm-hmm. in these final moments. And it was like probably even m- more than maybe what it would have been if I didn't have all these additional things that I was kind of processing and dealing with. So in the end, they suggested the gas. And I was, I looked to my doula, I'm like, should I do the gas? Cause I'm like constantly anchoring to her because I was really finding it hard to make my own wise decisions by that point. She was like, yeah, we talked about this. It's cool. Yeah. Do that. Is the and gas I, I, nitrous oxide? I guess so. Like when I put the, the mask over your the mouth only and you gas, just get to breathe deeply. Yeah. Okay. So the gas that we use here in the U.S. is nitrous oxide. I'm just not familiar with all of the birthing tools that you have. So, I think so. So yeah. you were very, um, were you still aware and awake and conscious when you would take the mask off? Did you come back to earth and then you only yeah, really yes, thought, yes. okay, good. Nitrous oxide then. Okay. But I hated it. Like I literally physically hated the feeling of something across my mouth. I felt like I was being muzzled and I was suffocating and I don't normally have like that feeling in like everyday life. Like I, I can get a bit of claustrophobia, but not mega. It was the fact that my, my roaring and my breathing and my sound was the only thing that I could anchor to, to keep myself grounded. And as soon as the mask went on. I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. So they had to like train me while I was at this point to like take these long drawn in breaths and take them out. And like, they were trying to get me to do at least like, I think it was like eight or 10 before we take it off. And then obviously once I got through that and then I had the break, I was like, oh, this does feel good. But it took me a lot. And I kept going back into like almost like a panic attack from this thing being over my mouth. Like if I could have had the feeling of the gas without actually having to breathe in through the thing, I would have felt so much better. Then I finally got the, like the knack of it and it started to get a lot better. And then I think I got on the birthing stool and that's when I was referred back to when I nearly broke my husband's back, like pulling his shoulders my arms over the back of his shoulders and just pulling so hard and just like ripping him literally like a, I don't know, a wild bear. And um, <laughs> were you pushing or were you just really into yeah, I was pushing on the, pushing. I was pushing on the stool. Like I, I just remember thinking in my head, I'm so fucking over this shit. I just want to push this baby out and put my pajamas on and go to bed. I'm yeah. over it. Like yes. that's all I could keep thinking yes. about. I just want to put my pajamas on and they could see I was really starting to get over it. Yeah. Anyway, we kept moving, kept moving, kept moving. And in the end I was pushing so hard. They're like, okay, you're going to rip yourself into if you keep pushing harder you need to slow down like yeah. so I remember them telling me to slow down and that we need to get this more controlled Caitlin we don't want you to have any tearing you're doing so well but like you, you just need to calm down like there's a little bit too much aggro <laughs> going on there and I remember thinking like I don't want to tear I don't want to tear I don't want to tear okay you're I'll like Olympic pusher over here like I'm gonna win pushing right like I'm an Olympic pusher and we're like no just like a amateur gentle push <laughs> And the pain that comes through your butthole is like nothing else. Like I literally thought my butthole was going to split down the middle into like a million pieces when you bent over with tight pants on. And I'll never forget the pain in my butt. I was like, ah, and then I needed to poo. So I thought I needed to poo. And um, sorry, my, then my waters broke. So I went to the toilet, sat on the toilet, 
push so hard because I wanted to poo and my waters ruptured and flew across the whole bathroom and hit the other <laughs> side of the wall and nearly hit my husband. And he was like, oh my gosh, what the hell is that? I'm like, oh no, it's brown. Oh no, it's brown. <laughs> it's and they okay. Were like, okay, Caitlin, we got to put the heart strap on. You know, we got to do that thing around the, like the belly to monitor the baby just in case it's in distress because it's done a poo. So when your amniotic fluid like ruptures, we are looking for it to be clear. Okay. Maybe like a little bit blood tinge, but if it's brown where you're so cute with, oh no, we have shirts here that say meconium happens. So the brown is the meconium. It's a first poo. It could happen um, if the baby's in distress. That's one reason. It can also happen if you are post-date. And I forgot to ask you, how far along were you in your pregnancy on Easter? One day early. One day early. Okay. So, so it could mean like, you know, that the baby was in distress. It could just mean that you were a full term. You were all the way. I mean, one day early is still 40 weeks. You were still right at term, you know, which is a big, healthy, grown baby. And so if you are at home and your water ruptures and it's clear, don't fret. And if it's brown or yellow or green, like don't fret either. But typically we say like, that's a reason to kind of head on in to get checked if you see this meconium. And then before I let you pick up on your story, I just wanted to like do the check, check, check. So like the, I can't do this anymore. Self-doubt, Caitlin, like that was all your transition. Nitrous oxide is a beautiful tool for transition. And then I love that you're pushing on the birth stool. You're pushing on the toilet. Okay. Water goes flying and we're going to pick up right back there. I just wanted to make sure everybody knew what meconium was. But like your no, water goes flying, totally. meconium is present and you're like, no, 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 no. Um, was it no big deal? It ended up being no big deal. His heart rate was literally perfect. I have a bit of a joke about it. Like my dad was a plumber. So like poo and fart jokes was like always in my house. So like I, with my kid now, like the funniest thing that we do is we pretend that he like farts really loudly. Like I love the whole farting poo thing. I know it's super gross. My husband is so private. Like I literally will like look at my son's poo. I'll check my poo. I'm like, are we healthy? Like I am like that. So when I found out he also did the poo, I was like, that's my boy. He's done a big poo. He's ready to come out. Like it was kind of like, I kind of like made a bit of a joke about it in my head. And in the end, it was literally fine. It was annoying because I had obviously the heart strap. That meant that I couldn't be in water as much anymore because we had a different system now. Definitely no water birth because of that. So regardless of whether he had a cleft or not and the doctors didn't feel comfortable, I wouldn't have got a water birth anyway because at this point they were monitoring him differently. His heart was fine. Everything was actually great. And I was able to kind of switch off and forget this thing was around my tummy. And obviously as he's moving down, she keeps adjusting the strap and keeps getting underneath me on my all fours and really delicately moving it without kind of disrupting me, which I remember thinking, by you're doing a really good job at like not pissing me off right now. Like you've really got the art of this because someone that keeps touching your tummy and like putting this strap around can be really annoying, but he was fine. It was all good. And um, yeah, we just basically kept birthing. I was like, so like embarrassed that like little bits of poo was still like coming out my butt and was like squishing all over the mat on the ground. I was like, this is real. My husband has seen it all now, but I just like had to get rid of the feeling basically ended up. Yep. Continuing to keep doing different movements just keep pushing through really getting over it now. Like I was like super done and um, basically ended up kind of leaning over the bed for a while, like bent over, could really see like the head obviously starting to come out. 
And I remember them being like, do you want to see? And I was like, no, I don't want to fucking see. I just want the head to come out. What do you mean do I want to see? And I know that's like a really cool big thing and maybe baby two and baby three, I'll be like more open. But at the time I was like, I don't want to see anything. Just get it out. Like, Give me so my pajamas. <laughs> I was just so over it. And they were like, you know, they've got to ask for the things because everybody wants different things. I totally got that. And I remember like holding my midwife's hand. I'm like, I really love you right now. And she was just so beautiful. And my, my doula's just still trying to calm me. It's going to be okay, Caitlin. And just kept getting me through, kept getting me through. And then in the end, I'm going onto my all fours on the mat, on the ground, and I remember just like, you know, you do that one or a couple of big final pushes and out he comes. And I just remember my husband being like, it's a boy, it's a boy, it's a boy. Like he's so deep down, I think really wanted a boy and it was a boy, but I went into panic. Obviously adrenaline's just dropped. Everything's very different for me compared to my husband. And I went into the shaking, like the crazy shaking and the adrenaline that was just pumping through my body after this massive epic experience. And I just start screaming. Is the cleft affected? Is the cleft affected? Is the palate affected? Is the palate affected? How? What's? Tell me the diagnosis. What's happening? Because that's all I could think about. And of course, the peed comes in, and the OB, and all these other people, and they take my baby and put him over here on the like section to assess him. And they're like, "Yes, confirmed, hard and soft palate." And I just remember going, "Fuck!" My body was full of disappointment. I just felt like I just felt my whole body sink, and I was like, "I can't breastfeed. It's over." And that was it. And I just ended up, instead of having this really joyful moment where I should be really excited about my baby, I ended up being full of all of this pain, all of this disappointment. And I just remember being like, I just want to have a shower and put my PJs on. Like, I I can't, I actually can't deal with this right now. I can't do this. This is too much. Well, I didn't have to deal with it anyway, because I had two tiny little fracture tears on either side of my vaginal lip. And they were uh, perfectly in line. So they were worried that they would like basically close my vagina stuck together. So I was like, oh, no, 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 we don't need that to happen. So they obviously had to get, you know, the OB in to just like do those tiny little stitches and like obviously had to get back on the gas again, get the numbing needle, which hurts, ouch. And um, my husband straight away went with Hunter down to NICU and get all the assessments because they kind of went into a bit of a panic unnecessarily about, He's feeding and breathing. And as you know, like that baby was tanked. He could have gone hours without being fed. Like, and it typically, place. this typically isn't a breathing problem. This is a feeding problem, right? They just, they get paranoid that like maybe he, the, his lungs were going to fill with fluid and how are they going to feed him? And they, they just go into a bit of a panic, but actually there should have been a bit more protocol within that hospital to know better. Um, oh. And as a result, when the cleft nurse actually did return on the Tuesday morning, post public holiday Monday, she was like, get that baby up here. Um, get all the plugs off, get all the cords off. That baby needs to be with its mother. What the hell guys, you know, this babies that are clefts don't need to go to NICU. There's nothing life-threatening. It's not an open wound. There's no infection. As long as the baby is good in every other way. So they went into like a forced a forced training in the entire team, NICU, OBs, midwives, because she was just so annoyed that this happened and she felt so bad that I slipped through the system. That's a part of the story. I didn't just slip through the system. I didn't partake in the system. I didn't call her. I'd met the surgeon before the baby was born and knew what the process was. I didn't call her. I don't know why. I just didn't want to talk about it anymore. I didn't want to partake in it. It backfired on me because I wanted my baby born on a public holiday weekend. So she wasn't there on Monday. And I also didn't get the bottles in case 
he had the cleft and there's special bottles that wedge into the cleft and they have to basically munch it with their gums rather than suck it like a boob or other bottles. Yeah. So it's a very unique bottle and you can only get it from one place. I didn't have the bottles and I didn't have all the things and she didn't come in until Tuesday. So I was kind of caught off guard, but still to this day, I feel like it was meant to happen. Otherwise I wouldn't have been in such a good place in my pregnancy and my birth. It, it could have really set me off course. So for whatever is meant to happen. And I just said, see, my kid is already changing the world. He's already creating training and new things and he's already creating awareness and he's left that hospital and that whole hospital will never, ever like have that situation again. Yes. Um, he blazed the path. Yes. (laughs) I would be so So, proud. I think that that is so important. I mean, you are, Caitlin, you are a joy to interview because you are so optimistic and happy and you see like the, you are definitely like the glass is all the way full, like not half full, like on everything. I mean, I love your attitude and your perspective on, on all these things, but I am cut, you know, I'm a little bit angry for you on, you know, the public holiday and the public system. And, but I'm glad that all that change came about. So you don't have the bottles though. Does the hospital have the bottles? No, the hospital doesn't have the bottles. You have to literally wait for the cleft nurse to come in. She's the only person on the ward that integrates me with the surgeon. So she's the middleman. No other midwives, no other nurses, no other doctors, only her. She's the the she has her own faculty and team within the children's hospital. And okay. she comes across obviously to the women's hospital where I'm birthing. And then she trains me in the bedroom. So we have to obviously stay there for a couple of extra days. We have to learn how to use the bottles. We have to make sure that he's feeding before I can go home. He also had to do a hearing test because there could be fluid behind his ears. So there's a few different things we had to do. He also had to do a heart test. And that was, I think that was mostly it. But even though I was this optimistic kind of, as you say, glass, you know, half full is not always how it felt after he was born, right? Like it took me time and I had to have really kind of muster up the courage to go down to NICU for those like two days before she got there and really spend time with my son. And I could see how easily women could slip into a place of postnatal depression because of the way I was feeling full of so much disappointment. I didn't get to connect. I basically held him for like five seconds after he was born. He whisked away. He wasn't by my side. I had to start learning how to hand express colostrum with the midwife, squeeze it into these little tubes, take it down. And they're being, he's being looked after, right? And his own little bed and monitored down there. It was so easy to detach myself. And I remember thinking, Caitlin, this is a dangerous place. Like you need to get down there and be with your baby. Even if it feels awkward, even if it doesn't feel natural, just go down there. And even if you just sit next to him. And just hold his hand and just keep practicing. Because I could touch him like he wasn't a, you know, he wasn't a premie or he wasn't open to infection or anything like serious like that. It's just basically he had to have these fluids and put the colostrum through the tube and just check that everything was okay. So then I started to hold him and practice. And then I got my bliss moment that they talk about. And it was after about 48 hours. And I remember thinking, no one talks about this. No one told me that I wasn't going to have that beautiful Instagram moment where I hold my baby, my husband's in the background, I'm crying and I'm like, yes, this is so great. And I love seeing women get that. And I know I'm going to get that bliss moment again for my second or third child. But for this bliss moment, for this baby, it wasn't like that. So we straight away went into learning about formulas and feeding and bottles and expressing. And, and in the end, we ended up having quite a lot of difficulty. He 
took some time to take the bottle. And then when he finally did take the bottle and we went home, I basically wanted to commit to pumping. I felt like breastfeeding had been stolen from me. So one of the ways I could re-empower myself was the choice to choose how I continue to feed my child. And there's no right or wrong answer. Everybody chooses what's best for them. My one thing that I've become an advocate for and super passionate about is I don't believe, particularly in Australia, but I think probably globally, women are not presented with the options of how to feed their baby if breastfeeding isn't going as planned. There's this generalized assumption that you're just going to use formula. Yep. And I will agree in the United States also. Yep. hundred percent. And it's, and I think it's wrong. I think that women should be presented with options and they sit down with their family privately without the influence of professionals to make the decision that's best for them. And whatever it is, everybody else just goes with it and supports them and cheers them on. But I just see, and I've through the hundreds of women that I've ended up talking to through my social media and everything, so many women said, I wish someone had told me that was possible. I wished that was an option. I wished I could have part pumped and part breastfed. I wish I could have part breastfed and part formula fed because as soon as things aren't going perfectly well, everyone's like, it's too hard. It's too stressful. If you just don't breastfeed at all, even if your baby got one feed a day from breast milk and you got to do that and experience that and you enjoyed it, why does it have to be all or nothing? Yeah. Like in my situation, I could pump and use the bottle with breast milk and do formula if I wanted to. Like there was no harm. As long as my baby had wet nappies, he was growing, he was getting his feet. It didn't matter, right? And I just think for anyone out there listening, don't ever let someone tell you how to feed your baby. Do whatever feels right for you and do as much research as you can. Even if you pumped for one month and your baby got one more month of extra breast milk, you it's a win. You won. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not like we you have to do it as long as me for one year. That was a totally personal decision. But every single day that your baby gets that option and you feel empowered to do that and you felt your baby up against your body or get the feed of your breast milk, you won. And I don't think we celebrate that enough. It's always just this message, fed is best. And I believe fed is best, but I'm not dumb. I know fed is best. What I really wanted was to be supported on my bad days. So I gathered a team of girls that I trusted and I said, I'm going to do this pumping journey. I've got three milestones. I've got four months when he gets his first surgery. I've got eight months when he gets his next surgery. And I've got 12 months when basically he'd be weaning essentially. And I knew at six months we'd introduce solids. I knew that the feeds would start to really reduce. And I knew from six months to 12 months, feeds kept dropping. So my pumping kept dropping. It got less and less and less. I knew it wasn't going to be pumping eight times a day for the next 12 months. No one would be able to like fathom that when they're a new <laughs> mums. I broke it. I compartmentalize. I break things down into sections and milestones. And on my bad days, I text these group of girls. I'm like, I'm having a really bad day. And I'm like, I don't want you to tell me I can give up. It's okay not to do it anymore. I know those things. I wrote it. I wrote, actually wrote a declaration down and I posted it. I will pump anywhere, anytime. I will not have shame about pumping. I will continue to pump until it affects my mental health. I will celebrate every day that I pump. I will not put pressure on myself to keep pumping if I don't feel like I'm emotionally well. I will make this milestone, this milestone, this milestone, and I will continue going as long as I feel good about it. I'm going to build blah, blah, blah. I did this whole thing. This is and so I made it- powerful. This is so powerful, <laughs> Caitlin. I'm like, can you email me a copy of it so I can send it to all of my pumping parents? This is incredible. Yes, I can. <laughs> this is incredible. Yeah. So I just kept going. And let's just, there was very hard days. My son ended up developing a welt 
in his cleft from the bottle that was rubbing. Oh, so like a little blister? Like a welt, like an inch long, like a carpet <sighs> burn. Oh, Like it okay. was red raw and he was screaming. Oh, okay. And like you, you go into a chemist, like what I put on a welt for like a, a six-week-old baby. They're like, uh, we don't like classify anything until they're like way older. So I'm doing like natural aloe vera. I'm trying to find all these natural remedies, like natural mm-hmm. teething stuff. Like it was so hard. And we ended up going down this horrible medical, what I call black hole, where I had 15 medical people contacting me. If you don't answer, they keep calling. I had wanes every Monday. He ended up not responding well to the different formulas. No one was believing me that the formulas weren't agreeing with him. I have a history and a family history of egg intolerance, coconut intolerance, gluten intolerance, dairy intolerance. I mean, my mom has four sisters. My grandma had issues. Her four sisters have issues. And like 50%, to 60% of the cousins have intolerances. So like it wasn't uncommon for my family. Plus my husband's side had some dairy intolerances from him, his mother and his nieces also had some stuff when they were born. So like I wasn't dumb. I knew what it felt like to have dairy. And obviously formulas are very, you know, cow's milk based. So I ended up hiring a lactation consultant. She really helped me calm my nervous system, started getting me to do breathing techniques because that was obviously affecting my milk supply. I was getting more stressed that if I wasn't going to have enough milk, I wasn't going to be able to feed him. I couldn't find the right formula. In the end, she found this really great formula. It probably wasn't perfect, perfect, but it just got us through. The reflux and colic reduced enough. The reflux was also so bad because obviously there's such a big hole in his mouth. He's taking in a lot of air every time he's sucking the thing. So he's basically filling his body up with extra burps. And babies already have enough problem burping, as you know, the whole burping thing. When you, but he was like double that. Plus he was having formulas that was aggravating him. And I just went into this really bad cycle. Then I got mastitis and it just felt like I'd literally hit rock bottom. And I just remember snapping one day. And I said to my mom, who spent a lot of time with us in this season, I've lost my intuition. I'm not even a mom anymore. Like I cannot feel him. I don't know what's going on. I'm like, I can't take this anymore. I cut everybody out. I stopped doing the weigh-ins. I just like changed the teat to a bigger size. So it wasn't taking as much effort for him to suck. I refused to go back on the tube because we'd already done emergency visit with a 48 hour tube run to get him back up. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like it's just really messing with my head. And I'm telling you the day that I did all of that, we changed the teat. We found the right formula. I felt my baby down to feeds, hunger, sleep routines, everything. I just relaxed my whole nervous system. My milk increased, my happiness increased. My baby started putting on weight almost effectively immediately. And we never, ever went back and weighed him again. I never saw the pediatrician again. I never did anything again. And my baby to this day is totally healthy and fine and great. And then when he went for his first surgery, four months, his weight was perfect. He is a naturally tall, long, skinny boy. His leg length was on like the 98th percentile. He has a different physique. And I hate that these trajectories of weight gain box you in and they don't include body types and ethnicity and gene pools. And I'm like, you've made me feel like there's something wrong with my kid for so long. Like I'm a lanky, skinny mom. Like I'm going to have a lanky, skinny boy, maybe. Like that's just our body types. My aunt's like that. My great grandma's like that. Like that's my gene pool. There's nothing wrong with my kid as long as he's hydrated and he is still gaining weight. So that was a really, really big learning curve for me. Obviously got through the mastitis. I got back on track. I kept on pumping. I made the four months for the first surgery. I'm like, I'm going to make it again for the eight months. 
I made the eight months. And then by the eight months, you're like, oh man, I'm pumping like two times a day. Like this is just like breathing. And I made it to 12 months and I had a huge party and celebration with my family. And basically it was the best, hardest decision that I've ever made, which I didn't realize how empowered it was going to make me feel when something I felt was lost. I got to re-empower myself with a decision that still gave my baby the exact same breast milk that my body created just through a different funnel, a different avenue than the actual breast. And I did other things to help increase my milk where I didn't have the baby on me, baby wearing baths together. I had a co-sleeping bed where they have like their own little box on the side of your bed. Um, I, I just did everything I could to get that same touch and love and affection that moms were getting through breastfeeding. And that really helped also fill the gap for me. Yeah. Caitlin, everything that you just said, like check, 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 check. I feel like you just took my entire doula business and wrapped it up into like an A plus student in like an hour (laughs) and 15 minutes. I mean, you are incredible. I know that was a really hard journey and we're talking on the other side of it, which is really different than talking you through it, talking to, but the fact that you are here on the podcast to help other parents that are pregnant right now and they're on this journey your story is so powerful. It's very impactful, especially everything that you just said about your feeding journey and empowering. Yes, we do whatever we want with our bodies, but that is where you said, keep the intuition, find that mommy intuition, put that baby to your chest, take a deep breath and ask yourself with none, no one else around, ask yourself with your baby, what is right for us? What is right for me? What it, What do I need? What does my baby need? Check in with that intuition. We just don't do, there's so much noise and so many opinions and and sometimes we lose sight of our, our core. There is research that I have read that for the first three years of life, if you are in three feet, especially if you're touching, but if you're in three feet of your bio child, that you you feel each mm. other. And, you know, yeah. this is the, I'm, I'm going to end this on the weirdest note possible. But when you were talking about the nitrous oxide over the mouth and having, you didn't, you said, I haven't felt like that before. And I was thinking oh, you were feeling Hunter. He was like with you and like the pressure on his mouth and his nose and like, like that you guys were connected as one. I was feeling that, that, that mask wasn't working for you because you guys were in sync and that was you know, he wasn't liking something being over him too. So I know like now I've gone woo woo on everyone, but that's what I was feeling. So you are such a joy and your story is just beautiful. It's perfect. Now I know your family is out on the beach in Australia, like waiting for you right now. Um, But before we go, can you just share a little bit about what is your favorite baby or nursing product? Like what's the one thing you want, would want to pass on, um, to new birthing parents so that they make sure they have it in their, um, you know, on their registry or they make sure they purchase it before their baby comes. Yeah. Prenatal expressing kit. It's never on baby showers. It's the most important thing you could do to set yourself up for a win and an insurance policy with breastfeeding. Okay. So, so talk about it. So you're talking about like, um, prenatal. So like pumping or, or expressing colostrum and collecting colostrum prior 
to giving birth. Can you just talk a little bit about that for someone that's like, what is that? Yep. I didn't do it. And it's my greatest regret. I've obviously learned about these things since having a baby and go on this massive pumping journey. Basically we can be in high spirits and think the best things and be positive and go into birth thinking I'm going to breastfeed. It's all going to be fine. Breastfeeding is actually really hard. And for some people, it doesn't just happen in the first 24 to 48 hours. It can take weeks. Some babies have tongue ties. Some babies in my situation, the latch isn't, you have different size nipples. There's so much that goes on between two humans that are uniquely made and there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. You don't need to be fixed. It just happens and just loving yourself through it. But what takes the pressure off is obviously what's so good for the baby when it's first born is that colostrum. It's literally golden medicine. Like I don't even think technology and science has ever been able to really identify what goes into this liquid gold. And if you've already frozen yours by hand extressing, even if you get like two mils, that's all a baby needs. Like their stomach is literally the size of a piece of rice. It will then allow you time, take the pressure off on the other side of the journey also, you can just like pop it in the baby's mouth and let it lick it. You can, if it really needed to, it could go in a tube, obviously in extreme situations. Also, if your baby was preemie, really amazing to take the pressure off yourself and have all that extra backup colostrum. If you never use it, it doesn't matter. Your body will produce more. It's not like you use it before and then you're going to run out on the other side. The body doesn't really work like that. But then you can use it as medicine or wounds or rub it on cuts or eczema or rashes or donate it to another mom that's struggling and didn't do that. So there's always a beautiful way that you can, it won't ever get wasted, right? It can last in the freezer probably for like six plus months. So it will save the day. It also allows you to get used to your boobs. Other than maybe your partner having a little bit of a touch on a sexy night, let's be honest, we don't sit there and nicely fondle our boobs on a daily basis. And seeing liquid coming out of your boob at first can be a really confronting experience and you feel a little bit awkward and weird, also normal. So when you're fully comfortable, by the time the baby's actually born, you're like, oh, I've been touching my boobs and squeezing this golden stuff out for weeks now. I feel really good. I feel really confident. I know what my boob feels like. I know like the different parts that are inside. I know when I hold it like this, it feels like this. And I've just seen really beautiful testimonies of women going to their breastfeeding experience just with that little extra confidence and empowerment because they spent time privately alone, even without their husband, getting to know their boobies. Oh, I think that's such beautiful advice. Oh, Caitlin. So you guys, everyone, please go to Instagram at living the abundant way with periods in between. Living period, the period, abundant period, way, period. (laughs) And follow the lovely Caitlin Robertson. Thank you so much for being on the Birth Story podcast, Caitlin. Thank you so much. I've absolutely loved chatting with you all the way over in the USA. (laughs) I hope you have a beautiful day and I am going to go put my jammies on what you were dying for and head to bed. So thank you so much, Caitlin. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode. And before you go, I would love to see you in class at Birth Story Academy. As a reminder, you can use code BIRTHSTORYPODCAST to get the course for $98 between now, whenever you're listening, and February 1st. Pre-sales and that discount ends, price doubles. So hope to see you in class. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.